0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5. We are continuing our Lessons from the Wilderness series. Hello, Father. Hello, daughter. <laughs> you just made me laugh right before we went live. Yeah, today. we have fun off camera.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, You know what else is really fun? Next week, you have a book releasing. A I, very exciting book.
1: Yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, so, you know... The, my last two books: the uh, A Deeper Walk, and now this one, a break, um, Breakthrough, and uh, the subtitle is Five Strategies or Five Essential Strategies. I think you know for healing, uh, freedom, healing, and wholeness. I'll remember my own book eventually. It's <laughs> a it's a Five Essential Strategies for Freedom, Healing, and Wholeness. And both of these books, kind of what they have in common is that they are a summary of my life's work, if you will. I mean, they're a summary of the big picture. Uh, that brings everything together. So A Deeper Walk brings the whole discipleship pic- picture together in one place, and Breakthrough is meant to bring the whole emotional healing journey together in one place. And so that this is the book that's going to look into the five engines that drive um, emotions and what the strategies are that we need to employ uh, in dealing with those five engines. So uh, it's a uh, a book inspired by uh, a lot of conversations with people in addiction recovery, especially people looking for a breakthrough in areas where they feel stuck, where they feel like, uh, you know, I'm never going to get through this. What's the path? What? Why am I still stuck after all the things I've tried? So I think it's going to be an encouragement to a lot of people and hopefully give them kind of a checklist of things to go through to say, OK, well, I haven't tried that. I have done this. You know, maybe I need mm-hmm. to do some more with that.
0: It is pretty epic. And uh, you all listening, you still have... Time to pre-order. We've got a pre-order pre-order campaign uh, going on that is fun. Check out our our um, my Monday email communications and social media, um, and then also we want to invite you to a free webinar on release day, which is March fifth, um, and Dad will be talking more about about breakthrough, and it'll be a good time. So you are invited. And with that, all right, icebreaker. Morning or afternoon coffee?
1: Uh yeah, no it just changes what kind of coffee basically. Yeah, uh, it's a the uh, morning tends to be a little more straightforward coffee and the afternoon way more foo foo coffee. So mm-hmm. yeah.
0: You just need some stimulation as you were working on on projects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, last epi- Oh, I guess I have to answer. I'm <laughs> just I'm just all excited. Um Too much coffee today? Too, no. <laughs> I, I have had a lot of coffee today. <laughs> Um, you know, I feel like I'm more of an afternoon coffee person, but I often, you know, I enjoy morning coffee, but I'm usually looking for it in the afternoon more. All right. Last episode, we started getting into the topic of salvation. We were talking about the Passover, and that was kind of the the salvation rescue story number one. And today we're getting into rescue story number two, which is the Red Sea. Um, you know, to this day, people say, oh, that, that was a Red Sea moment. Um and I'm specifically thinking about the chosen right now. They have a lot of Red Sea moments. That's fun. Yeah. Anyway, but um, that's something we say. So, so tell us more. Give us an introduction to to the Red Sea moment.
1: Yeah. So the, you know, the this parting of the Red Sea has been you know in a lot of movies, and, and we tend to see see this picture of. Moses throwing his arms out, and and then dramatically the the waters just sort of parting, and and the whole thing uh, is the whole you know ocean is parted in th- you know thirty seconds, and we don't read through the text that this was a apparently hours long process, right? It's that he uh he held his staff out over the water and an east wind began to blow and it blew it says all night long and part of the water which i think is helpful too because it even that speaks a little bit to the idea that god doesn't necessarily do things instantaneously there is often a uh, a process to it um there are a lot of elements of this story that are just kind of fascinating And there are a lot of uh, details here that are worth unpacking. So looking Mm -hmm. forward to getting into a little bit.
0: I know when we were talking about it, we were like, why did Pharaoh, if it was going on all night, why did he just sit there? Yeah. (laughs) And I was just wondering if there was some... Delusion of on his part of wondering if it was like if he associated it with Yahweh or if he associated it with his own gods or like what was going on there. Like it's
1: a very realistic proposal. The text does say that his heart was hardened and that all the Egyptians had their hearts hardened, which, as we saw in an earlier episode, means that's the first act of judgment. It doesn't mean that God took somebody who was innocent and hardened them and turned them bad. So. Their uh, their hardness there. The other is that is uh, we see that happen exactly in the story of Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel, where um, Elijah declares that there won't be rain for, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't rain for like three and a half years, and the narrative was that Baal, who is the storm god and the sender of rain, that he was withholding the rain because he was angry that they had let Elijah live. And thus, when Ahab binds Elijah after all those years, he says, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And, you know, Elijah's caught off guard. Like, what do you mean, me, the trouble of Israel? Right? This is coming because you are not obeying Yahweh. And they were like, oh, they couldn't agree on the narrative. Like, which God is doing this? And so they said, all right, we'll have a contest to settle it. And that's the contest. Well, that's kind of what's happening here, right, on an even larger scale, uh, is very likely, I think, that the Egyptians thought that their gods were doing this, and that because we're told, Pharaoh even thought, oh, they're hemmed in, they're in confusion, their god can't actually get them out of this. and And you think about it in pagan settings— they thought gods had specific tasks that they were good at and other ones that maybe they weren't good at. So this is the god of the mountains, but not the desert, or this is the god of the sea, but not the land, or this is the god. And so maybe they thought Yahweh had certain powers that worked in Egypt, but wouldn't work with the the sea. And so uh, it's very clear that they thought there were limits to what he could do. And yeah, uh uh-uh. no, no, no limits limit. to what God can do. Yeah. It's also interesting in the Book of Psalms when when the Psalms talk about this story, it brings up Leviathan, mm. right? <laughs> that God killed Leviathan when He parted the waters, and and it's a it's a fascinating thing because Leviathan is this seven headed dragon of of uh, pagan mythology that is uh, um, associated with chaos with. Uh, the unstoppable force of storms that are just out of control. And that, you know, the, the, uh, so you might think of a tornado or a hurricane or something really violent and out of control, right? The rocky waters or the waves that could just take down whole ships. And so Leviathan was this picture of chaos and destruction. And God defeating Leviathan mm-hmm. was an image that, you know, again, that nothing is too. Powerful for God, and brings up again this idea that God is not afraid of chaos that he is not afraid of the situation and the whole story of the Red Sea is at some extent parallel to times in our own lives where we just feel like everything is out of control. I'm not going to get through this uh I finally come to the end uh this is uh you know God's delivered me before, but there's no way out of this one this is this is i'm hemmed this, in I'm hemmed in on all sides and uh and it's it's really fascinating because I think we can all relate to that. We've had moments in our lives where it was like, okay, I see no way out of this. Mm-hmm. And, and storytelling,
0: re- we call that all is lost.
1: All is lost. Yeah. It is the all is lost moment for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and and like you said for to to Psalms and on, onward, like this has become the definitive testimonial to God's power to rescue. Um, the ultimate apologetic that God can be trusted. So We we have also discussed – it's interesting to note that um, of the two stories – Passover was made into a memorial, you know, Red Sea is referred to, but the the thing that you practice is um, Passover.
1: Yeah, I, I just kind of struck me. It's like, so why Passover and why not the Red Sea? And I do think it's because God wanted that lamb blood mm-hmm. uh, substitutionary idea uh, is what he wanted memorialized, um, whereas this uh, became memorialized in another way. It wasn't in a festival, mm-hmm. but... Everybody, like you said, to this day knows what it is to have a red sea moment, right. and that is, I am trapped, all is lost.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I. As as you're talking, it all also strikes me that with Passover it's it's a very community i mean the original event was still very community based like people had to act in order for it to happen in the first place so it is something that is also it makes sense for a community to memorialize because the community had to act versus the red sea um as we'll get to in just a little bit here it's god says don't tell me what to do i'm going to i'm going to do something and you can't even imagine what i'm going to do um and if, this is on god's ability to save god's yeah. um
1: power. Oh, and that's a good point because one of the things that uh, I've noticed in working with hurting people is that the uh, there is some often a sense of impossibility that says I don't even want to try because I've gotten my hopes up before. And one of the things you hear the Israelites saying in the uh, Red Sea story is we told you not to do this, right? Why did you even try? You know, you should have left us alone. And it may sound strange, but there's a lot of people who are in in dark places who are kind of like, yeah, it'd be nice to get out, but I don't think it's possible, and I don't want to make it worse. Mm-hmm. So let's not stir things up here. Let's not go places we don't need to go. And what happens is that healing journeys are always messy, right? Because they're always messy, we have these moments where we're like Moses saying, why did you do this? I told you this wouldn't work. Or we get like these Israelites going— you should have just left us alone. Now we're going to die. At least there we were only slaves. You know, you've made everything worse. And what happens is, I think I take this back to the Garden of Eden and to this idea of, do you trust what you can see and understand or you trust what God can see and understand? Because God saw that it was good over and over again. Eve saw that the fruit was good, but God had said, no, 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 <laughs> that is not good. And I think that the wisdom folly Theme is often this question between: Am I going to trust what I can see, what I can figure out, what I understand? Um, do I have to use my own imagination to figure out how God's going to get me out of this before I'll trust Him? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of us who mistake uh, thinking we have God figured out for trust, mm-hmm. and it's not the same thing. You know, oftentimes, we have no idea how He's going to come through.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just let's just continue with that thought. So when we're talking about salvation. Um, From the Red Sea event and also from the Exodus story as a whole, we see that um, we have no ability to save (laughs) ourselves, right? Right. They had no ability to save themselves. They needed Yahweh. Um, And I have written here, you aren't supposed to use your imagination to figure out how God will rescue you and then ask him to do that. It's not our job to tell God how to rescue you. Um, and in this case, God even said, don't pray.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Chapter
0: 14, verse 15. He's <laughs> right. basically, he's like, which is very interesting. I need you to unpack that a little bit.
1: Okay. So there's a lot of thoughts there. But the, uh, one of the things, when it comes to praying for healing, when it comes to uh, this, one of the things we teach people is when you're going to do listening prayer with somebody o- over a memory, what you don't do is you don't tell them what to imagine. Mm -hmm. You don't say, now picture Jesus doing this, and picture God doing that. You don't do that. That's a taboo. Because we invite God to do things because often what he does is surprising. And the surprising part of what he does is often part of the healing. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And it helps me know that I wasn't making this up, that Mm -hmm. it was God doing something.
0: Well, and he knows what needs to be healed and how. And it's not for us to be like, I see exactly what needs to be healed here. Right.
1: Like, Well, and that happens with a lot of us is we're so sure we know what the key uh, is to our problem and what the solution is to our problem that we actually end up sitting in judgment on God, mm-hmm. whether or not he does that thing, mm-hmm. instead of trusting him that if he doesn't do that thing, he must have something else in mind and I must need to look somewhere else. So, for example... uh met with a lot of people who um, are like, God doesn't love me unless he changes my situation. So unless, you know, this happens or that happens or this happens, I can't believe that God loves me. And so what they're doing is they're sitting here saying, well, God, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what anybody says. I know you don't love me because you haven't done this, right? And you know, whatever that is, fill in the blank. In the same way, we uh, often will pray that way And that is that uh, we get so specific with our prayers that we can actually use prayer as a way of trying to control God and get him to do what we want him to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what we're supposed to do is pour out our hearts to God and invite him to act and, uh, you know, like, surprise me, God, (laughs) because I know I can't figure this out.
0: Yeah. Can you can you just read do you do you have it pulled up there? Can you just read the, the verse in question? Because I definitely don't want it to make it sound like yes, the All Bible right. says don't pray. And I think you explained that well, but just
1: <laughs> Well, I don't think I dive into that one as much, but let me just give it context. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid, stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. Um, you know, and what he's gonna accomplish for you today. The Egyptians will see you today, you will never see those Egyptians again, right? The Lord will fight for you, you must be quiet, which is interesting. He's like, because up until then, they're crying out, they're crying out. And then we get this interesting verse 15, it says, Yahweh said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? So it's a you singular. Now, Mm -hmm. we just heard that they were all crying out, but he's like, why are you, Moses, crying out to me? Well, crying out is a common metaphor for God, please deliver your people, please do this. And he's like, this is not, you know, this is a time for action. He says, tell the people to break camp, Mm -hmm. go do what I'm telling you to do. And it's just really interesting because there are—there's almost uh, uh, a—I've heard people say nothing happens apart from prayer in the sense that, like, you almost got to tell God what to do before he's going to do anything. And that's not what that means, Mm -hmm. right? Um, God, in this case, already knew what he wanted done. He already knew what he was going to do uh at this point he's having if you want to call it conversational prayer with Moses because they're he's <laughs> like hey uh listen to me now um and so it's just interesting because there's a lot of times people think well if i get enough people praying or if i get this happening then i can get this to happen and you can't always declare to god this is what i want you to do this is what uh uh this is what will happen because i have so many people praying for it um Mm-hmm. We need a little bit more sophisticated theology of prayer in some cases. I think
0: mm-hmm. that's helpful. Well, I, I should probably keep us moving on, but I just thought that was worth um, worth talking about. Um, yeah, so we don't want we don't want to try to use our prayers to control God. We want to relate to God and and be obedient to Him in our yeah. prayer. Um, sorry, I keep you... thinking
1: of uh, Dr. Wilder saying. You know, God's brain is to my brain, basically what my brain is to an ant. <laughs> and so picture an ant like, going, this is what you need to do for me. You know? mm-hmm. And I'm going, really? You're going to try to tell me how to take care of this? It's like, and that's sort of it. It's like us trying to tell God, this is exactly how I need to be taken care of right now. doesn't make any sense when you put it in context. Mm-hmm. He's just so much, got so much more uh, wisdom and capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yay, for relying on God. So the other thing um that is a feature of the Red Sea story is that it is a crossing. Um it is a crossing from one territory into another territory. And um would you yeah, what do we learn about things from that?
1: Well, there are uh, I, I think of that in in many ways. It's like uh, ending one chapter of a book, going to another chapter, or you know, ending one volume of a series, going to another. It's the uh, entering, but it's also, I, I think, in Colossians where it says that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own Son, and there is this transference of kingdom idea here that I have moved from the kingdom of darkness, you know, the land of Egypt, the land of bondage, and even the Ten Commandments starts off this way. You know, I am the Lord who rescued you from that smelting pot, you know, from the furnace and uh, brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. And there's this idea that this didn't happen because the people had faith. Like, oh, they had such great faith in God that he did this. If they had any faith at all, it was like the faith like a grain of mustard seed. Um, the uh, They were quick to... To want to go back, like they were rescued almost in spite of themselves, and so you look at all of this and you realize that um, there is God's role and there is our role. And God's role, you know, is salvation, deliverance, you know, redemption. Our role is trusting and cooperating. And the core lesson we're really trying to get across in this series is that the longer it takes us to cooperate, trust God, cooperate and obey, the longer the whole process drags out. Because uh, I'd often tell people, God is actually the most stubborn person I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I can try to out-stubborn him, but it usually ends up with 38 years in the desert. So I'm... But God is stubborn for a reason, and that is that he he knows what is best for us, and he doesn't want to go down to second best or mm-hmm. third best or or whatever. So... It's all part of that journey of of getting to trust him more mm-hmm. fully. And that's at the heart of what this is all about.
0: When he introduces himself, you know, like so so the the ten plagues or the eleven signs, like right. is is it is an actionable introduction. But when he introduces himself and says, Here I am, this is me, he says, I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am gracious, and just like over, like abounding in it. And so, when he is stubborn, he is he's stubborn because he knows what is best, and he is stubborn out of the graciousness and mercy and, and compassion of his heart. Right. Um, he is he is stubborn in his compassion. Um, and that's beautiful.
1: Well, you to think about it. Well, that one of God's judgments is actually often giving people what they want. Mm. And so, in Romans, it talks about he handed them over to. Their sin. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, you want to persist in that? Yeah, you know, I'll just give you over to it. And so it's not a good thing, right? <laughs> when God says, okay, I'm, you win, you can be, you know, your stubbornness prevails. That's not a good thing. That does not end well. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, on that note, any quick final thoughts for the episode? <laughs> this yeah, has been very, thoughts, yeah. this has been
1: a very good episode. Well, it is, it's a, it's a, a very, um, poignant story, right? There's a reason why it's kind of archetypal to so many things that we go through in life. Uh, uh, I am surrounded. There is no way out. There's mountains on this side, mountains on that side, an army behind me. There's a sea in front of me. I see no way out. And I think all of us can identify with feeling at times in our lives where there is no way out of this. And I'm crying out to God because I am terrified, I, I or I'm in despair, right? Like, this is both impossible and it's terrifying, and that's what we call dread, right? When I've got impossibility and terror combining together. And so that's where they were at. They were in a place of dread. And what's interesting is, despite the fact that they had no faith, (laughs) God showed up because he had a plan, and he knew where he was going to get them, and he took care of them. And I think there are so many times in our lives where that happens, that God does things for us and it's not because we earned it and it's not because we deserved it it's not because we prayed the right way or we had the right kind of faith or we did the right thing and uh in this case they weren't you know they had the grain of mustard their faith like a a mustard seed right which was just enough to say, okay, you part the waters and we'll take the step in and we'll walk across. That's not a whole lot of faith, but it was just enough to obey and go through. And look what God did for them. And on the other side of it, they were singing. So
0: huzzah. Hallelujah. All right, on to next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the trail today. Did you like this episode? Would you like more people to see it? This is the part where I ask you to like, comment, subscribe, share with a friend. And hey, do you love this channel? One of the best ways that you can support us is by becoming a Deeper Walk Trailblazer. Thanks again. We'll see you back on the trail next week.